0: Welcome to the 19th ESC Every Soldier Counts podcast.
1: Wherever you find American troops today, you find the men of the Transportation Corps. Enough and on time. That's the story we tell you today. The story of the Army Quartermaster Corps. These youthful servicemen are members of the Army's Military Police Corps. One of the most important forces behind the lines, the Army Ordnance Corps. Welcome to the 19th ESC, Every Soldier Counts podcast. Once again, I am Sergeant First Class Adam Ross, Public Affairs NCOIC for 19th ESC. And today I'm joined by the command surgeon for Team 19, Major Edward Chang. Sir, thank you for joining us today. Uh, Thank you for having me here today. I'm very excited to um, talk to you today and uh, to um, support you know, the mission of the 19th ESE. Glad to have you, sir. And so we, we usually get to know our guests a little bit when they first come on. So um, if, if someone's met you uh, on Daegu or your many travels around the peninsula, they see you wearing a special forces tab and a sapper tab. So you had kind of quite a little journey to get to where you are today as a medical officer. So maybe if you could take us back to what made you want to join the army in the first place, sir. Uh, well, actually,
0: um, you know, I hate to say it, but the main reason I did was to uh, kind of defray the costs of college. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so initially, um, I was uh, I entered the military service because I was a ROTC student uh, at Johns Hopkins University many, many years ago. Uh, and then when I entered, I was immediately recruited into. Um, a program that dealt primarily in special operations. And I um, <clears throat> was recruited into a special mission unit. And that required some training in um, special forces and uh, language training and some additional um, training that um, to, to assist in my um, capabilities as that type of officer. And so that's how I came in initially into the Army. Um, <clears throat> and, uh, you know, like I could tell everybody, the training was fantastic and the mission and the ideals, um, that were taught to me initially were everything that I still believe in. Uh, it was just a lifestyle was not conducive to, um, having a family. And, um, I, I was kind of thinking about the future of what to do because I, I knew I wasn't going to be a soldier
1: forever. So at that point, that's when I decided to go to medical school. And so when you were studying at Johns Hopkins, were you studying medicine at that time? That's that's what they're known for. Uh,
0: Yes, but actually I went there mainly um, because uh, they gave me a, um, uh, a fairly good scholarship. Unfortunately, it didn't cover the 100%. It only covered about 60%. So that's why I did ROTC as well, too. But. Uh, I did it mainly for that, but as an undergraduate, I actually studied electrical engineering. So I have a um, Bachelor of Science in Electrical Engineering, um, and
1: uh, I had no plans of going to medical school. Oh, okay. And so can I, was that ever in the back of your mind that you'd be a, become a doctor? Or no, kind of- actually, um, initially when I looked at the medical field, it was because I had several of
0: my um, you know uh, SF medics, the 18 deltas, that got out and became um, PAs. And so um, I happened to be in the state, the great state of Kentucky, um, doing some other things and they have a very good PA program. And so that's what I was initially um, planning to do was to apply and become a PA through the University of Kentucky. Uh, And then I realized, well, I mean, why, why not try for medical school? And then luckily I got in and so that's where I ended up doing my medical training was at the University of Kentucky.
1: Okay, in Lexington, right? Yes,
0: and uh, it was a great experience, um, and it also uh, led me to my wife, uh, who, you know, uh, was also a medical student there, and so uh, it's, uh, that place
1: will always um, hold a very dear place in my heart. But um, during your time with Special Forces, you learned, you picked up a language, you you learned Korean, and so that's obviously served you well through your career? Uh, yes. So a um,
0: funny story with that was is when when you when I came in, I'm a- actually ethnic Chinese. So I mean I was hoping that I would learn Chinese, and that's what I requested. Uh, and even uh, up to. Until the first day that I showed up for language training, um, I thought that I was going to learn Chinese. And then this gentleman walked in um, and started speaking in Korean. And I was like, well, that doesn't sound Chinese. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm actually fluent in Korean, but I cannot speak any Chinese. And I'm like a third generation
1: Chinese uh, American. Okay. And so that brings us to uh, your, your time in 19th, and, and before we get too, uh, too far along, so w- what is your medical specialty, Then, uh, So yes, um, I uh, am a
0: otolaryngologist, uh, which is an ear, nose, and throat doctor, um, and uh, I do surgery on the head and neck. Uh, so everything at, from the skull base to the, your collarbones is uh, what I operate on.
1: Hmm. And so you have a pretty busy schedule here in korea, I understand because you you do you are the command surgeon, but then you also do what you what you mentioned there with the operations relating to your your specialty
0: yes so uh as a surgeon i think i'm the actual uh, i 'm the first actual real like surgeon to sit in the command surgeon slot mm-hmm. um, and the reason why you don't usually see a surgeon in this position is due to the fact that to maintain my surgical skills. Um, I have to still operate on on patients. Um, And there's a certain number and certain key index cases or um, clinical task lists that I need to accomplish so that I don't... um, falter in my abilities and so to do that end um, I've uh, luckily been able to obtain privileges um, up at the uh, at our hospital in uh, Humphreys Mm. Uh, and our command has been very generous uh, allowing me that time to go up there once a week to see patients and to perform surgeries
1: as needed. Okay. So, so I might see you in Daegu in the hospitals or maybe in Humphreys up there. Um,
0: So that's another uh, thing that I've been kind of working on is uh, because of my language ability and the um, interaction and the liaison activities and I've been able to enjoy with the uh, local uh, civilian hospitals, uh, they've allowed me to also enter into their operating rooms here. Um, And so ultimately, uh, I'm trying to work it out so that I may be able to get privileges at one of the hospitals
1: here and operate specifically on, you know,
0: our soldiers here in Korea.
1: Hmm. And let, let's, let's stay on that, sir. So uh, here in Daegu, um, I've, I've accompanied you on a couple of these visits to the hospitals. We have a great working relationship with the hospitals in Daegu and Daegu's nickname is Medi-City. Is that how they, it's known for its medical facilities here? Can you talk a little bit about that? Uh, yeah. So um, Korea
0: I would say from you know, all my visits to various hospitals and the medical centers, uh, they are definitely on the cutting edge of medicine. Um, they have the latest equipment. Uh, they train um, using the same curriculum as we have in the US. Uh, in fact, all their uh, didactics or their classroom activities while um, uh, as a medical student or as a resident. Uh, Is done in English, and so they use the same textbooks. They have the same training, Um, and you know, I find that you know, at at least with the same specialty as mine in otolaryngology, when I work with those physicians here in Korea, which I've had the pleasure of doing, uh, they are very skilled, um, and I have no doubt that they will be able to uh, provide the medical care um, and the specialty care. That some of our soldiers may need uh, while they're here in Daegu. And um, although Seoul is the largest city, Daegu's medical capabilities are equal to, if not better, than what I've seen in Seoul, um, especially in the area of plastic surgery.
1: Hmm. And so could you provide an example of why a a service member or a dependent would go to a a local Daegu hospital? What, What kind of instance?
0: So uh, for two reasons. One is convenience, um, because otherwise you would have to travel up to, you know, our hospital up in um, Humphreys. And number two is uh, the local hospitals here would offer specific subspecialty um, services that unfortunately that we are unable to maintain up at our hospital up at um, at, uh, Humphreys. So for example, um, in the field of head and neck surgery, as I mentioned, plastic surgery, that is a subspecialty, so facial plastics. So those are the people that would do cosmetic surgery of the face, reconstructive surgery, um, doing something called flaps, where you take tissue from somewhere else and and use that to reconstruct parts of your face. Uh, That's a subspecialty in otolaryngology that um, we're all trained in, however, You know, there's people that go an extra year to get more training in that. Uh, We don't have that capability at uh, Brian D. Allgood, just mainly just because we don't have enough um, uh, uh, patients to really Mm. justify having that. So if you were to need something like that, then Daegu would be a perfect location to be sent to one of the hospitals here.
1: Brian D. Allgood is the the hospital in, in Humphreys, and so and we have a a clinic on Walk, Camp Walker and Camp Carroll. But uh, for anything beyond, like a the clinic yeah you'd have to go somewhere else um and so you were uh you were here when during the the covid outbreak sir when when it first started or uh no i came um about
0: a year after so i you know um i guess in a way fortunately mm-hmm. uh miss the initial epicenter of how it occurred in korea which happened and started here in daegu Uh, But the great efforts from our 19th ESC command and the uh, USFK folks here in Daegu, uh, through their efforts, we were able to um, mitigate the risks and to manage it uh, well and to uh, send in protocols that we still follow today.
1: And those hospitals that you spoke of, they were critical in those early days too of the uh, of the COVID outbreak.
0: Yes, definitely. Um, they uh, and due to their support of our folks here in the local area, uh, they were able to um, provide us the, the definite guidelines and the support that we needed to uh, manage our personnel. Luckily, uh, nobody within our USFK ranks uh, required any significant. Uh, medical um, care due to COVID. Um, However, the capabilities were definitely there if
1: necessary. And one more bit on the hospitals in Daegu, sir. So they, if a dependent goes there, these these hospitals are able to uh, utilize TRICARE and you'll be be paid for through TRICARE? Yes. So there are a number
0: of hospitals um, and primarily the main, um, the large medical centers here do accept TRICARE. And uh, the process is, um, you know, you get a uh, referral to one of these hospitals um, through the primary care uh, uh, physician, typically at Walker or Carroll, and then the um, soldier or the dependent uh, are are allowed to go to one of these TRICARE-accepting uh, hospitals, and it's all funded through TRICARE, so, um, you know, they're able to get the top-notch care that they need.
1: Hmm. Great. And so... One thing that if you follow our Facebook page, they may have seen we shared uh, photos and video of you. You were one of the only finishers for the expert field medical badge uh, competition, testing held up at Camp Casey this year. So could you talk a little bit about what went into your decision to want to pursue that? A lot, a lot of soldiers maybe once they get up in the ranks, they don't, they don't go, for, go for that. What was, went into your decision, sir? Um, so my main
0: reason was is uh, I just wanted to be a, a, a motivator um, I think it's a great um, training experience. Um, it's a very prestigious um, award, uh, and it, you know, is awarded to the few elite in the medical community and is one of the few things that you can compete for um, as a soldier in medicine. And, and uh, you know, with the COVID um, restrictions that we've had and the um, atmosphere um, of uh, just um, uh, everything was just a little bit um, I would say uh, more restricted because of COVID uh, I felt that this would be a good opportunity to highlight you know the positives that and, and something that we could you know motivate other um, soldiers in the medical community to join and um, pursue and so uh, I just wanted to do it as a motivation and to show that hey it's never too late to try to do this um, you know I was doubtful that I would be able to complete it because it is a very rigorous and, and difficult, uh, program. However, luckily, uh, you know, um, the stars aligned or, or whatever, but I was able to accomplish it and get through the program.
1: So that, that testing involves, uh, the usual kind of army testing of a day and night land nav PT test, ruck march. What, what about the medical side of it? Were there parts of it that you had to brush up on maybe a little that you hadn't, um, done for a while? Well,
0: actually this, this, uh, you know, the FMB is, uh, I think, particularly difficult for doctors mainly due to the fact that this is geared um, primarily towards, um, you know, the, uh, the medic. And so it's more for uh, field medicine where you would, you know, <clears throat> provide care um, on the battlefield, essentially, or during a combat type of situation, and that's not typically where you would find a doctor. Um, so it was actually a lot of materials. Um, there were like level one skill tasks as a soldier uh, that I had to kind of brush up on. And uh, as far as the medical aspect of it, it's something that you were not taught in medical school. Uh, I, you know, had to recall from you know my time as an operational um, officer uh, and you know going on my deployments. Uh, and so, yes, I had to kind of brush up on that material, but it's definitely geared not towards doctors. And I think that's why uh, physicians
1: have such a difficult time getting through it. Mm -hmm. And what, what would you, what advice would you give to a soldier going for a competition like that? What, what do they need to focus on or what, what should their mindset be? Um, so it, it is, um,
0: very cerebral. Um, you know, I liken it to when I went through selection, um, it's physically demanding, of course, same as with the FMB. but, um, it's, it's somewhat of a mind game. So you, it's, uh, the whole thing is geared towards somebody who is mentally, um, I'd say sound uh, or mentally tough. Uh, and so, you know, obviously definitely train physically for it, um, and be physically ready, but also, uh, don't, uh, neglect, um, you know, the, uh, the cerebral aspect of it and just, um, you know, focus in on the, on the, uh, the manuals and the, and the, the um, FMs, uh, that are provided to you to provide guidance and the information that you need. And so it's important that you prepare significantly and sufficiently for it and to take it seriously. Um, but it's again, a great experience and
1: I would highly recommend it for any medical soldier, um, to attend. And you, you mentioned before you met your wife at University of Kentucky. And so you've, over the years, you've spent some time in Korea. This is the first time you were able to bring your family with you to Korea. What's been the experience like uh, in Korea with your family, sir? Um,
0: I mean, it's it's a somewhat, um, you know, uh, colored by the fact that, you know, COVID's going on. Um, however, like I tell everybody else, um, I don't think you could really be at a safer place than Korea um, while this pandemic's going on just because of the Uh, the um, uh, I I guess seriousness with how the Koreans approach this Um, but uh, even with that and even with the restrictions that we've had um, I've really enjoyed my time here um, so far with my family and uh, if uh, this is the first time I've been married and and had a family here with me Uh, and so it's uh, been easier I would say to do my time here Uh, than what I've had to do in the past uh, when I've had, uh, when I've traveled here by myself. uh, Luckily during that time, I wasn't, I didn't have a family. And so, um, you know, there wasn't, but I mean, I did have my parents and, and, you know, other friends and family that I missed back in the States. And so um, having a family here with you is definitely a plus and it makes the time go by faster. And um, it's good to have that support
1: here. And uh, you have some small children, sir. What What is, you mentioned before we start recording, your daughter's going into kindergarten soon. What, what's been your experience with the schools here in Daegu? Uh,
0: so um, we've actually put our youngest into a nursery, a Korean nursery. And then we also had uh, my second, my daughter, in a Korean, um, I guess, preschool Um but uh, it's been um, a great experience. They are very focused on academics. Um, they um, do very close, hands-on care for uh, children. I've had no concerns as far as their uh, educational development or their safety at these locations. And uh, it's been a great opportunity for at least my youngest. Um, I think he's learned you know, uh, Korean, and so he actually knows more Korean words than English at this
1: point. Oh, really? Yes. <laughs> Yeah, my, uh, my, my daughter is going to one of those nurseries as well. And they really – it's been said before on this podcast, but, like, kids are celebrities in Korea. They love little kids here. And so, yeah, they, they, the, the amount of care and attention they, they use at those schools is amazing. Um, so, sir – Closing out, we, uh, we've mentioned the, the COVID pandemic before, you're obviously very involved in the uh, prevention of that among our units. What Can you tell me a little bit about the, how you stress the urgency to other leaders you meet and, and the behind these prevention measures going forward? Um, so the, the big key to us uh, overcoming
0: this pandemic and to managing it successfully is vaccination. Uh, And that's the um, key that I highlight for every individual and to include the commanders whenever I discuss COVID with them. Luckily in USFK, we're at a very high percentage of vaccination. I think we're um, above 85%, um, you know, peninsula-wide. Uh, and here in area four, I think we may be even a little bit higher than that, but uh the reason why I say this is is if uh we are able to vaccinate enough um, people, then this virus, which is essentially like a um, any type of organism um, and it goes from host to host to try to um, survive it won 't have anywhere else to go um, and so vaccination doesn 't necessarily mean that you can't get uh, uh infected however, what the vaccination does is it decreases your risk of getting um, very ill from the COVID virus, and of allowing the virus to uh, mutate, if you will, and to make these variants that we are seeing right now. Um, that's the biggest uh, problem that we have so far is that, uh, you know, the insufficiency of vaccination. And as a result, the COVID uh, virus has mutated um, like it, it normally does, any type of virus does. And so the, the big, um, you know, big bad thing that we've seen is the, uh, what we are seeing is the, uh, the Delta variant. Mm. Um, and because of that, we've seen a surge of cases um, worldwide um, in the U.S. and in, even here in Korea and uh, within our ranks. Uh, but again, luckily, majority of us are vaccinated, and um, that it would be the key to successfully overcoming this uh, pandemic at this time.
1: So, just f- the vac- the vaccine is the key. Yes, Rest- it, it,
0: mm-hmm. it totally is, um, and also obviously, you know, um, using the core tenants uh, to protect those who are not vaccinated. Um, And uh, But again, it all goes back to uh, making sure that enough of our folks are vaccinated. And incidentally, um, you know, it's uh, going to probably develop into a mandate here shortly, um, as I'm sure you are all aware. Uh, Our Secretary of Defense and President Biden um, have uh, ratified uh, the timeline for this. Um, It's based on, obviously, FDA approval. But uh, regardless, um, you know, our Secretary Secretary of Defense has um, set Fifteen September as the uh, likely deadline
1: when it will become a mandate and uh, everyone will have to be vaccinated. And you mentioned the core tenets, sir, uh, the, the masks is, is more uh, prevalent now more um, where we have to wear them. Um, just as like the vaccine doesn't, won't 100% prevent you from getting the, the virus, a mask won't 100% prevent spread, but it does present a significant barrier. Right.
0: It does. And um, again, you know, when you're thinking about masking, uh, you're not doing it so much for yourself, but you're doing it for your buddy. Uh, because if you happen to have the virus, the wear of the mask um, prevents you from spreading uh, the, the droplets that typically carry, you know, the uh, virus particles in the aerosolized air. Uh, And so that's why we have um, the mask wear mandate as well as the distance mandate. Um, So typically we've seen these droplets, you know, travel about uh, one to two meters. And so that's why uh, we have included that distance as well as
1: the masking in the core tenants. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show, sir. We covered a lot of topics and... um, hope to have you on again sometime here thank you anytime yep and thanks for joining us here on the every soldier counts podcast be sure to subscribe so you don't miss one episode and we'll talk to you next time right here on the every soldier counts podcast